Hey, welcome everybody to Five Pin Universe's eighth podcast. We have the regular crew here, Adam Weber, Tim Wiseman, Dexter Wiseman, and myself, the host, Kerry Kreitz, and we have special guest from Saskatchewan, Michael Wist, 2015 Mixed Team Open Gold, and one of two players to be in the WCBT TV show the last two years. So, I'll bring up the first topic. Came from one of our one of our listeners, um, wondering what hit percentages do most high average bowlers carry? So I'm guessing they're thinking like 250 average bowlers. What would your hit percentage be in your strike percentages if you guys happen to keep stats? I, I don't think many of us do, but if you did have a rough guess, what would your guesses be? Uh, I'm gonna say hit percentages have got to be close, like 90. Like I. I think we're all at the point where our one miss a game is, you know, um, pisses us off enough that uh, our motivation is there to not do that. So I think I think our hit percentage is uh, got to be close to ninety percent. Strike percentage is a different ball game, obviously depending on where you're at. But I guess uh, for Sherwood, for me, I'd say a strike percentage has got to be forty. 35% somewhere around there. Yeah, I, th- I think the, ov- the overall goal-, goal should be probably closer to about 85 to 90% for, for your hit percentage. Uh, I-, I know a lot of people will try to play that little bit of a thinner line to, to eliminate or reduce head pins. So uh, that-, that extra miss a game, I-, I don't tend to mind that so much. My, my personal goal is you know, at least 90 plus strike percentage i actually think it should be a little bit higher than than 40 percent you'd probably want to be around 50 if you can uh if you're playing well you're probably going to be you know closer to 60 right and then go pick your spares on on whatever so uh, i remember you know my my younger days when I, I used to throw the ball really hard we, we did actually keep stats at uh, chinook wednesday master league and uh, my, my hit percentage was like 92, but my strike percentage was like 28 or something. Like, it's something crazy. So lots of head pins, lots of chop-offs. So once that speed kind of came down, then everything else kind of goes a little bit higher on strike percentage. I just think if the, if the strike percentage was in around 60, I think you'd see averages a lot higher than they are. I mean, if you're, if you're, getting, if you're hitting nine times a game and you're getting, you know, six strikes... You, you'd, you'd see it's all averaging close to 300. You know, no, really I'm just saying, it, it, if you are throwing really well, you should be up in that range, right? Yeah, certainly. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, I definitely think you should be you know, having four to five strikes a game out of your nine hits, right? So it's not, not out of the realm, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think I'm around, I agree with Dex. I think 40, you know, 40, 45% on strike percentage. I'm probably, I think 85% is probably 85-90 you're probably looking at for a high average bowler. Whether There's a difference, I think, between how many middle hits you hit or whether you hit it or whether you hit it well. There's a difference, right? And just because you're hitting the middle doesn't mean you're throwing the ball well, right? And that's, I think, a big misconception people have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I know in our Thursday major league here, we actually do keep stats for our hits, strike percentage, spare spare attempts, and everything. And right now in that league, I'm averaging 261. And my my hits, though, they're probably, I think I'm like 70. 
but my strike percentage in that league right now is like just under 60 i think it's like 59 and a half that's so that's 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 the thing it all depends where you are that's for sure like i know for sure with bull i hope i hope my strike percentage is higher than 40 when i'm throwing at that center because <laughs> I, I love that place so <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah we don't keep stats in our leagues um in red deer either so I don't know. Yeah, I think it's definitely around that 90% hit percentage on the middle. But strikes down at Heritage right now are, is, might be 30, 30 to 40% now. You leave a lot yeah. of chops, a lot of corners going on. But just means you got to pick your spares. Still averaging over 250. Just got to pick your spares. That's uh -huh. the main difference. Yeah, exactly. What would your hit percentage and, and strike percentage need to be somewhere like Bonnie Dune right now to average 275, 280? Your hit percentage doesn't have to be that good because your strike percentage is through the roof, I think. No. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on your ball speed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so so many other factors, right? Uh, obviously, you know, the, the pins, the uh, the oil out the lanes, the, uh, uh, the the wood versus synthetic. There's so many different factors. And like I said, it, to, to, to grind out a 250, 260 in a, in a house like Heritage right now, uh, yes, when it dries out, it can be a really high-scoring center, yeah. and all, yeah. all of a sudden you, you start seeing those percentages jump. Uh, I, I I think to be successful, I, I you probably do need to be probably seventy-five percent plus on uh, on a hit percentage. Uh, but like Mike says, uh, you know you can miss the odd time. It's okay. Uh, make that spare and move on, rather than you know hit it two more times and plow twice and, and average two fifty. Right there, there's good and bad. Yeah, I guess uh, that that's a good follow-up question. What's your guys' miss spare percentage? Oh, 30%? <laughs> I don't, not, I don't not know. Very, not very good. You know, I, there's just there's just so many ideas on how to approach. That, well, I, I guess there's old-school ideas on how to approach miss spare attempts. And then there's kind of like what people do now. I remember back in the day where people used to harp on you all the time. Where it's like, if you, if you miss left... You're aiming for the right side of the headpin. Make sure you throw it into the wood side of it. And I totally understand the concept of it. But that being said, you know, you, you made a mistake. You missed the middle. You did something wrong. You know, when you're hitting the middle 90% of the time, the odds of you doing it a second time are, are pretty slim. Uh, I don't know why you would change your approach on how to throw it when you spend 90% of your time throwing a certain way at the middle. I think that's where so many people start having problems sparing headpins. You know, you see way more punches or, or a miss on the other side again because you're trying to push the ball to a side that you're not normally trying to do. Well, so, and it's a eight count usually too, right? Like you're way more yeah. prone to leave ball side corners. So when you miss and then you throw inside on the pins, the chances are you're probably going to leave that corner in a, yeah. a slight percentage, right? So right. people and, get and so chapped when they leave the corner. And it's like, well, if you would have thrown that <laughs> in the first one, you probably left the corner anyways, right? Yeah. yeah. You're trying to push it to one side, you start being bricky. Yeah. So, I don't know. My, my concept is to, to go at it and throw it at the same way because you just screwed up. I've seen you whiff <laughs> three times, though. So. <laughs> it's like great you have, but, but it's, oh, not, yeah. it's not overly often that I don't yeah. make the spare. My spare percentage on missed spares are probably 75%, I'd say. It's pretty high. 
Yeah, my, mine's got to be less than 50. Yeah, right? my, for, for that exact same reason, right? You start playing a line that you're not used to, or you, you guide a ball to, say, the, the, the pocket side of that, and you bury through more often than not. Uh, I, I think a lot of people, if they end up missing, they, they seem to throw it a little bit harder, that second ball. So if you end up hitting that, that same side of the pocket that you're trying, a lot of times you'll end up chopping it out. Uh, or you'll end mm-hmm. up basically push it through, right? So or, you know, plow back or something along those lines. But it, it, it's a tricky spare in the mind, especially when you're you're just not used to picking it, right? How often do we actually miss the middle and, and have that opportunity for a spare, especially you know the, those players that are you know eighty percent plus on the middle. Yeah, I agree with you. I think we're uh, a lot of the higher average or the higher pit. Uh, bowlers that hit the middle more often I, I think you see them a little bit more comfortable with single pin conversion or two two pin conversions right I mean that's what we normally would have because we always hit the middle more uh I feel a little bit more honest I think missing the middle and like those missed spares are probably harder for me because one I'm already pretty chapped that I missed the middle and and two it, there's a little bit more pressure on you to hit the middle a second time where you already missed it right so um I I find those probably one of the harder ones so going to single pin spare conversions, I cannot believe how many people think that the twelve spare is the hardest spare in the game. Like, no, like guys, you that's have a, my favorite. Have, oh, me too. You, <laughs> you have a single favorite. pin. You have a three pin standing there. The the three pin is what five inches wide. So that means you literally have like a fifteen inch window to hit a single <laughs> pin. It really should be the easiest spare in the world. You have room for error on the left and on the right. Why do people think this is so hard? It's way easier than a corner spare. I don't I've know. I've just heard it forever, and it drives me nuts. <laughs> when uh, when I get a chop and I cherry a three, I get mad. But, hey, when it's a 12, I'll, you cherry it all day, and you're happy. So. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's my mentality for it. So, I don't know. That's definitely my favorite, though. I think the biggest issue on, on spare percentage is that people don't take nearly the same amount of time that second ball is their first ball, right? Yeah. So, so all, all of a sudden, they're, they're so focused on that, that first ball, they, they throw a bomb, and they, if it doesn't work out, they, they rush the second ball, right? you got to take that same type of, of time on the second ball. At least the, the mental space has to be the same, and then you know, the execution typically comes, or you're just playing the wrong line. Right, yeah. or you get, yeah. or you get yeah. to the line really quick, or th- there, there, there's always stigmas anytime you're going on an angle towards a shot. Right, we're we're just so used to picking a corner now, but chop offs, I, I'm terrible at chop offs. Right, so I, I know a lot of people are, and I, mm-hmm. it's just a, it's probably more of a mental block than anything. Um, but yeah, it, it trust. Right, there's no confidence on it at all. I, I'm glad you said uh, using the same amount or same kind of time. Um, just because I think people can do it the opposite as well. You know, people start spending a little bit too extra, too much time on the lanes, you know, trying to focus a little extra harder on those two pins that they're struggling on. Mm-hmm. And that never, that never goes well either, really. Um, I, I it, the, the whole, uh, the whole line uh, idea for going for spares is is another concept i mean there's a, there's a classic sort of way of teaching it uh, uh you, you know you're you're going for your left corner you're on the way far right shooting over the center arrow and then for the other corner it's the opposite obviously which i sort of i sort of don't like 
the whole idea of it. I mean, it's the classic way of teaching it, and I understand the concept, but I just don't understand how it's comfortable. Uh, you know, if if you if you throw so, if you're somebody that has you know a relatively large backup at all, then for you to pick that left corner, you have to be three quarters of the way into the into the lane next to you, you know, to shoot it over that center arrow. Uh, I don't know. I I've always found. I try to stand in the middle. Right now, I'm playing the far right line quite a bit for my middle hits. But as for the any of my chops or my corner spares, I, I always stand in the same sort of space right in the middle and then just change my target just because it's a comfortable place to stand away from ball returns, away from the other lane next to you. It's a way more natural angle, I find. So uh, for me, that seems to have really helped for like chop spares and stuff like that, and my consistency with corner spares. Minus a couple of months last year, uh, my 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 consistency on corner spares have been really good for a long time. I just think it's because it's just more natural. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, when one of the first times I bowled at Heritage, when I was going, when I would go for my right my right side, my leg or arm, I'd always be afraid of it hitting the ball return. And it was, I think it was three, two years ago or three years ago, where I actually made a change that summer where I started shooting all my spares from my strike spot just because I was tired of dealing with that at certain houses in general, which, which you know, it wasn't, at, it, you're, you're never going to be good at something at first, you know, because you're in a different spot than normal. But it definitely brought my confidence up depending on the houses I was at, if they had like a above ground ball return, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I got, I got the little bit of 10 pin in me from my parents with the leg kick out. So yeah, I don't like above ball returns. <laughs> yeah. At uh, Bonnie Dune, when we used to play league there, my uh, leg used to get caught underneath the ball return when you swing out a little bit. So, uh, so I, I, I migrated to center too, to shoot for, especially my right side spares, my left side spares. I still play the angles, but, uh, right yeah. side, I definitely moved towards middle. I don't know. I just, I stand wherever I feel like I want to stand and aim at the mark I'm looking at. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. That's what I kind of, I kind of get that feeling, you know, if I'm playing really well and I think, I, th I think everybody here, except for maybe with heard me say this. I've been been really good one day, and I'm playing really well. And all of a sudden, in my head, it's like, "Oh, Tim, you haven't missed a spare yet." And in my head, the next ball, I, like right in the ditch, like it's not even close for a yeah. corner. And I look at Carrie, he's like, "What am I doing? What am <laughs> yeah. I?" Right? And I think it's all mental. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's you know, like um, I was very fortunate. I, I don't know if you guys remember somebody called uh, named Perry Gillum. Perry was out in Edmonton for a while, but he was. He's, he's represented a lot of provinces over the years. And uh, Perry, had, we had the opportunity to play with Perry on Sunday nights at Sherwood Park for about a couple of years there, Dex. And uh, the one thing he, he taught me, when especially going for my corners or for any of my spares, or even for the middle, is is your visualization. And uh, uh, some little bit wild stuff he, he came up with, but I thought he was silly about it. And then I, that's sort of how I – a lot more of my spares and better now because I visualize and take a little bit more time. You know, and in a just better mindset, I believe. Yeah. Well, one thing that's always worked for myself, especially on corners, uh, is anytime you're kind of working with 
what whatever rotation your ball is. Uh, I, I think you can open up that angle a little bit further and you can actually create a little bit more angle. Uh, but if you're going against your natural ball speed or your, your natural spin, um, I've tried to really straighten the ball out. And, and I, I, I found that has increased my success, especially on my right corners, um, my right chops. Because I think if you start creating too much angle with that extra rotation that you may not be used to, um, I, I think it just leaves too much room for error. Uh, whereas at least with your ball, your, your natural ball spin, uh, or your natural movement, I should say, um, I, I think you can create that extra little bit of angle and be okay with it. So are you are you kind of like uh, sort of like ten pin? You throw your first shot in ten pin, and you kind of throw like a harder straighter ball for the second one, kind of thing. Well, I know for for the the two star lines I do have, uh, I, I do have kind of like a, a, a strike ball, and a, my my second one does run slightly straighter. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I hate throwing it my first shot because it. it just runs too straight um so i will tend to to throw that one a little bit straighter and I, like i said i think you do tend to push uh that your second shots your third shots a little bit more uh your ball speed's typically a little bit higher because uh, you're rushing the shot just a little bit more and you get away with it uh especially for my right side i love having that dead straight ball because then you don't have to really worry about a whole lot i don't know i i, I get I, I get worried about doing that and and not, I don't know. I always try to release the ball the same way all the time, and I I, I kind of get afraid of doing things like that because I'm afraid of it carrying over into my next shot, you know, r routines. So for me, I I try to avoid it. But I I think a large part of a large part of it is trust. You know, if you if you know how your ball is moving. And then if you're shoot, if for me throwing the backup, I can I can throw it out and know that my ball is gonna move back before it hits the gutter to get to get that two pin. You just you just have to be able to trust it. But I I totally see what you're saying, and I and I know a lot of people who will throw one one uh, one rotation for one corner and one rotation for the other corner. But for me yeah. personally, I, I'd be afraid of like my next shot being like a total brick out of my hand. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that that it's not your un it's, it's not your natural shot, right? Because you are yeah. throwing your natural shot, but even for your backup, right? You're going for your right corner. Uh, it's going to move more than it will for your left corner. Yeah, right? certainly. Right, yeah. right. So, so it's a very similar concept, uh, just with a, a slight hook, right? So my right my right one will appear straighter, but I'm not throwing it any different. But I created a less of a of an angle with my line. So it basically runs, it's forced to run straighter. Um, you know, anytime you're, like for, for, for a hook bowler like myself, you actually have to clear your hips, right? So typically you're almost going around your body and that's what's creating that extra bit of movement. And that will be more natural to go to, you know, my left corner anyways, just with the natural spin. But uh, all, all of a sudden, I guess if you're changing the angle for, for your right side, it will just go a little bit straighter, even though you're just being natural. Yeah. Oh. This is probably the same reason why a lot of people go to a house ball for for the for the corner spins. Yeah, right? I'll, I do, I'll I do never that. understand it. I will hey, never oh, understand that ever. Well, you, you have so you have so much feel for for your natural shots, and then you start going to another house where you're not familiar with the the, the other uh, ball. I, I just hmm. don't understand the whole. It, it's a grip thing for me. Well, I, uh, I I do it all the time. The reasoning behind it. 
would be the fact that those house balls are used all day, every day. So as we discussed with like some of the previous podcasts, those bowling balls, all the cover stocks, the material, it, it does start to absorb oil over time. So with that, those balls start to run really straight. So 99% of the time when you're going to a, a house, unless the bowling ball is brand new, you can kind of expect that ball to run relatively straight for you. So I think, I think that's why a lot of people do it, because they're comfortable doing it, knowing that it's probably a straight-up ball and they have in their hand, really. Um, I do it. Yeah, I do, do it for chops and corners. And... Yeah. My my main thought on it is that my first ball. I'm I'm worried about the finish, so that's why I use a bigger ball, heavier ball. When I'm shooting for a corner spare, a house ball doesn't matter what size it is. I don't need the finish on the ball, so it's just pick my line and throw it. The, the ball isn't big enough difference to worry about. I guess you have so much room on that pin. If you can't control a quarter inch difference on a ball, <laughs> I don't know. I I just I pick I up a house ball yeah. most of the time. Oh, like I said, for, I for me, it'd be the different finish, right? So, it, it, like yeah. I said, that that extra oil absorption that that ball's going to slip out typically more than your natural ball would, right? It's also why it comes out like a brick, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're going for that right chop off and you hit it that that little thick right there's no chance so you're gonna you know blow through it every time right whereas if you had that one little ball that does have that extra little snap like the star lines for me right that that's the my the whole spare percentage went like skyrocketing on those when i ended up getting that little bit of finish at the end with the uh versus the scorpions yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't think I'd ever change bowling balls going for a chop spare because to me it's the same concept as shooting at the middle. Re- realistic, you still got you still got to get that little bit of a splash for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. and to that being said, I don't I don't grab a house ball usually going for the corners either. But I I understand why people would. Yeah, I know uh, I know definitely I've done it I do it quite a few times in a tournament and in league. Like if I for like the or let's say like two or three frames if if the finish isn't there on my shot and I keep leaving corners, keep leaving corners, I will go to a I will go to a house ball because it's just a matter of okay, hit your mark. You know it's gonna run straight, right? So rather than if my finish is, you know, maybe one shot I'm lazy and I'm in the ditch or the next shot I overcorrect it and I miss, at least with the house ball, it's where I put it is usually where it's going. And that's mm-hmm. that's that's what I like, but that's just my take on it. So, what what do you what do you guys use in the way of like practicing or practice routines or practice techniques uh, for things such as your corners? Or do you use any practice techniques? Um, I don't know about technique. Like back, I haven't practiced for quite a while, but. Um, back when I was practicing, I would just play like a game like Mark 10. I would just do repetition, build muscle memory, not worry about not worry about figuring out the lane because you're going to go to a different house the next day. So there's no point worrying about that. It's just trying to get your angles proper and throwing at your marks and then moving on from there. I, there was it was just all repetition is mostly what, what I was doing. Uh, for those who don't know uh, that are listening, uh, Mark 10 is just a, a game where you're shooting 
like the right corner, then the left corner, then the right three pin, the left three pin, and the head pin. You kind of try to pick everything out clean one by one. Uh, yeah, that that'd be the same thing that I would be doing too. Uh, I find, it, especially especially when we all bowl in leagues where like we're never gonna send somebody back to go do a pin reset or stuff like that. You know, score corrections happen. You, you got a strike that wasn't a strike, and now you got to shoot at that right corner. Uh, I'm never sending somebody back to go to pin reset. So we, we practiced all the time shooting on a full deck because I mean we're lazy. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, that that's exactly what I would be doing, and I oh. I think that ninety percent of the time I probably wouldn't touch the three pin. If I'm gonna miss, I'm gonna miss gutter side almost every time just because of playing games like that. Really. Yeah, to be honest with you, I think a lot of mine stuff is just uh, muscle memory, right? And repetition. Like I, I'm I'm if I'm practicing something, it'd be no different than me practicing in the middle. I'm be more just trying to find a feel and find a comfortable line and. It just—it's a lot of practice. That's all it is to me. To be honest with you, it's no different than anything else. Yeah, definitely lots of uh, lots and lots of repetition. For me, I was—I always liked doing um, like a like a PR, like a personal record. So you'd start with you know, okay, I'm gonna hit the left corner, you know, four times, and then you do that, and then okay, I'm gonna try and go for it, you know, five times in a row, and then six, and then just see how high you can get. And then just the exact same with your, you know, with your right side and your chops. But, yeah, I've also definitely grew up on the Mark 10, that's for sure. That's always a good one. I did that one with the kids, actually, at my youth challenge practice tonight. So <laughs> There you go. Uh, for those of you who are in centers that have pro score, utilize Bingo Bowl. It, is, it, it can be used as an actual, like, tool. A lot of people just use it as a fun game to play, but you can definitely use it as a tool. Uh, I have one set up where it's just a whole card of fours, and you just go until you get fours. And I, I, you know, we set up for kids too because the kids love playing bingo ball, but at least they're going to be practicing towards something there too. So, yeah. So then a follow up to that. Now in in youth bowling, we're basically sort of forced into practice sessions and, and forced Mark 10. And we, we had all these practices with Mark 10. I, I know for myself, I certainly don't practice nearly as much as I should. I, I'm sure all of us here can probably say this exact same. Why is there a big difference knowing that that practice leads to success at a youth level, but we kind of shy away from it at an adult level? Uh, I think it's pretty for us. For me, I think it's pretty straightforward for us. Is is that we have life in the way. I mean, we're going to school, we're working full time jobs. You have family with kids, right? It's if you can make that time where you can, you know, maybe move, have an hour of your time, go down to your local center and see if you can throw some balls. I mean, that's great. You're also at the whim of the local center whenever they have lanes available. So I think it's a multitude of everything. I think honestly, it's just growing up. And for, for Dex and I, who's somebody who works in the center, we don't want to throw any more balls than we have to. We're already there, you know, six, seven days a week, right? Why, why do I want to throw extra balls sometimes? You know, we do when, we, when we're struggling or something comes up, but I think a lot to do with it is full-time jobs and families, and we just get busy with life. Yeah. Um, I think the other part of it is, too, is that, you know, muscle memory – if you're doing it on a, on a relatively regular basis, it, it shouldn't change that often. And 
I think there's real value in doing it a lot when you're young. We played a ton when we were young. We practiced a ton when we were young. And that does carry over. Um, that doesn't just go away. I think, I think we've built a really strong foundation from our youth. And we're fortunate now that our muscle memory is kind of locked into place where, you know, maybe, maybe we don't have to practice as often as we should. I think most of our practices is just to, just to keep confident to stay sharp. But, I mean, I, my style hasn't changed in a number of years. Uh, I, Tim's hasn't changed in 15. Like, well, uh, I don't know. I, uh, Weber, you throw the ball exactly the way I've always remembered you throwing it. So I think all of our muscle memories is kind of locked into place, and I think that's that's why we get away with it. I don't think it's the best practice, but I think we get away with it. No. So when uh, if there, so like we have the classic coming up here soon. Do you do you guys prepare a month? Like do you start going in maybe a month before the tournament, throwing a little bit extra at your houses, or do you do it like a week before? Do you go in and practice, or you just show up and bowl uh, that oh, one yeah i'll that i'll one. answer i'll answer this one um since it takes me an hour to get to the closest bowling center i don't get i don't go practice so i'll yeah. try and utilize the three game league i play up at Sherwood or the four game league i play down red deer so i'll try and utilize that time for it um but as for practice yeah it, i definitely feel the need to do that for these big tournaments but I never make the time, and that's downfall on my part because I, I do feel rusty when you get to these tournaments, and then you play maybe trying to shift it and feel it by the end of the, the end of the second shift and hope you make it to Sunday and feel good for Sunday. So I, I don't recommend that. I recommend if people want to be sharp, go practice. Uh, I mean, th this sounds dumb too, but I mean, I, I'm a big proponent of using your warm-up time. If you don't get the opportunity to go and practice, you you can you can do a lot of good in ten minutes on your practice lanes. Just picking corners, finding a rhythm, changing lines, finding what you're comfortable with at the time, and really really use that time. This I've heard so many people say that they don't warm up because they're they're wasting their strengths. <laughs> <laughs> All the time on Fridays, I hear that. Right? It's brutal. Um, it's brutal. Use that time to find a rhythm. Use that time to, to shake that rust off, you know? I don't know. I I think the thing that I, you know, like most of us practice the most is our mental mental game. I think that's where we get a little bit more rusty than anything. You know, if you especially when you lose your confidence. You miss a cut or two. You miss an open team out in Alberta. All of a sudden, it's like, man, I my year isn't very good. And all of a sudden you start really putting a little bit of pressure on yourself for the upcoming events. I think that's where a lot of us probably should be focusing our game on most of it. Um, the physical ability is there, but I think if you want to hit the next level, you have to, and maybe that has something to do with practice, being confident and being prepared. But I think that's where I, I, I'm lacking, you know, especially right now. I haven't played very well this year. You're sitting first in Masters in Alberta right now. FYI. Yeah, yeah, he's missed one cut, and it's the worst year he's ever had. Terrible. Uh, Nine was my worst year. I mean, you should you should quit. <laughs> and Tim announces his retirement. 
<laughs> Don't worry, Tim. They never accept it. I've been trying for decades. So for for myself, I guess on you know the practice set, I I've never been the big league bowler my, myself. Uh, uh, I I have played you know the the odd time in league. This year, I, I decided to to join league uh, once again. Um, last year, I I was actually you know doing some practice sessions with uh, with Michael Cousier. Uh, which was definitely helpful, really ramped up probably about two or three weeks before any major event, uh, especially, uh, you know, for, for the Open. Uh, it's probably twice, even three times a week leading up to, to that. Um, whereas now I, I can honestly say my, my game is nowhere near as sharp, just playing the, the four games a week in league. Because uh, I, I definitely think you need that dedicated focus practice time. Uh, whether it's just on, on specific, uh, you know, techniques for your strike shot or, you know, spare shots, your corner shots. I, I really do believe you need that, you know, 10 minutes per item and just go through a routine for, for a half hour, 45 minutes. And I, personally, I, I think it does absolute wonders for the game. Uh, and then you take it along to whatever league you're playing. And uh, all of a sudden, now your lead goes up 10, 15 pins because you're that much sharper. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know for the last, well, the last three years here, my biggest thing for these tournaments, for prepping for them, is actually um, doing like actual visualization and actual like mental imagery drills leading up to the tournament, which. You know, when I first thought about it, I was like, ah, you know, maybe this will help a bit. But no, it's definitely helped a lot. A lot for me, especially in these cash tournaments, you know. Just in your mind, putting yourself in those scenarios and just, you know, just so you have a sense of comfort when it actually comes to that moment, right? So that's definitely my biggest thing. I don't necessarily go in and practice, but more just mentally prepare myself Mm. for it. So. Well, I think everybody kind of gets amped up as they're driving to a, to a center. They'll, you know, turn their music way up loud, just just try to get into a bit of a zone. And it really, it's, it's no different, right? You, you can think about it a, a month in advance, a week in advance, but if you get yourself in the right mindset going into a tournament, uh, your, your chances for success, you know, grow exponentially. I know, I know Brett Hendrickson down in Winnipeg made a post today about hit the top five in Winnipeg, but uh, we've been talking in a long time, and most of us can have pick out a handful uh, of their top five would be the same as ours. But um, in Canada, what in the recent five years, what will be your top five bowlers? So if you got to pick five bowlers to put on your team to win a national championship, who would it be? I I'll, I'll go first. I'll, I'll be the guinea pig here if you want, and sure. I have no issue with that. Um, obviously, in no particular order. Uh, Adam Weber, I think Adam has pretty much accolades um, that anybody would wish to have. Uh, Mitch Davies from Hamilton, I believe Mitch is ad- he's a, well, he can adapt to anything. He's has uh, he's has obviously has his champions. Um, to be honest with you, like I, I think uh, for throwing a female in there, I think Jennifer Baker. Uh, I think Jen can compete with any of us on, on tour, any of us. If she was playing against us in an Open or a Masters, I think she can beat any one of us. Um, I'm, I know I'm 1-3 against her to, this year, so I, I guess that'll attest to that. 
Uh, uh, then, then my other top five, honestly, I have a, about 10 that I have a hard time picking and choosing between. But if you're looking the last five years, I, <laughs> I have a hard time. I, I think, uh, I think Kerry's up there. Kerry has two cash wins. He's uh, open nationals, uh, national champion that way, a runner up in Alberta for singles. Um, and many more other things. And then, you, honestly, you have Bradley Tickad. Bradley's won two uh, cash tournaments as well. He's done well, you know, silver and masters singles. I think that would be almost pretty close to my top five. I, I know I'm I, Dex is in there. I mean, I think Dex is between Dex and Bradley, I think, are the two I, I have a hard time with. Um, I think they're pretty close for that ex- extent. Dexter's had a really good run the last two years really solid but like outside my top 10 um couple names in there you know gary baird it's really underrated i thought uh greg degrazia matt schultz matt's matt's done okay um i know he's won the regina but he doesn't really hasn't played the open in a couple years right but i mean matt's always solid Uh, obviously michael west mark miller uh, the one I think is really underrated and I think he could uh, squeaked in if you had a dark horse in my top five would be Stu Ryan I think Stu if he if he played more for masters I think and if he played uh, there's a story I think we were, we went to a tournament once and he's like watching he was watching the special needs bowl and he saw a big guy throw a big hook ball he's like oh I think that will score here and he went out and threw it and he shot 2400 the guy is in house <laughs> shoes he, I see him throw back up I throw him seems He's just naturally talented, and I think if he, I think if he, he he's bound to win something sooner or later. And I, I know his, his accolades other than winning Open Nationals is there, but he's always something you have to be watching out for. That's so that's mine, I guess. You can see Weber, Davies, Baker, uh, Carey in my top four, and then either Dex and Bradley would be in the fifth. Tim's so, top yeah. 14. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure if we are doing 5 or 10 there. <laughs> I really agree with your list. I think I think the reason why Stu isn't in the top five, because I think Stu is probably the most naturally talented bowler we have. It, it's just just incredibly athletic in everything you do, everything he does. Sorry. You put him in any situation where it, it is just score – just like eight games, sixteen games, twenty games, he's gonna he's he's gonna kill us. He, he just he gets in the rhythm and he just goes and he doesn't think and he just throws balls and he, it's it's strike after strike after strike. I think Stu needs to be in situations more often with the match play side of stuff, um, and and that's just a personal opinion because he just doesn't he doesn't seem to click at the same level at the match play side of it as he does for the the scratch component of stuff um and i don't think that's saying that he's bad at match play because he's unreal at match play but he's just not as dominant at it as i thought he as as he is at the other side of it so maybe it's just not being in at, at that situation as often where maybe he's thinking a little more often than he would but um i totally agree with you Liz. I, and i think Stu would be in the top five um once he breaks through a little bit on the match play side of it I think um, somebody that we're – oh, ba- sorry. Uh, I want to say Matt Schultz, yes, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think the thing with him is that he's been so consistent and solid in a lot of things. Uh, I mean, he hasn't missed a Masters team ever. Has he ever missed a Masters team? I, I don't think he's 
He's made the I, last five for sure, but I'm not sure before that if he missed one year or something like that. But he's been a mainstay forever. Yeah, I, and and Alberta, that that's really tough to do. I I know he did not miss once when he was in BC, and I'm sure since he's been back, he has not missed yet. Uh, he's just incredibly solid and consistent all the time. Um, so with him not playing the open, yeah. Uh, but he's just solid everywhere he goes. Oh, even when even when he's not playing, like even when he's not playing league or whatever, he, you know, he's still solid. Uh, I think somebody we're missing off our list, off your list there, Tim. And I think the only reason why he wasn't considered in the top five is because he wasn't here long enough. But I mean, Freddie has got to be in that conversation. Uh, he's just incredible. Uh, I mean, look at what he did at Masters Nationals that one year. He just ripped it up with us. I mean, he there. He averaged like two ninety. Didn't didn't you set the record, carry And then he he broke it the year after. Yeah, he got it in easy houses though. The jerk. Oh, one easy Regina. house. One easy house. One easy house. Uh, actually, they're uh, all pretty good in Regina. We had the Open Nationals the year before, and we crushed yeah. that. All the houses there too. So. Yeah, that's pretty, I like Regina. There. I, I agree. Um, yeah. So I think I think he's going to be on that list. I, I mean. Losing to Weber at nationals this year is is uh, is nothing to uh, hang your head at. Uh, he's just who's your top guy. Five? Who, sorry, who's my who's top your... five? Yeah, we're just getting a top ten here as well. <laughs> okay, yeah. so my my top five brothers uh, is is Weber, Davies, Schultz, Carey, and, and then I had Freddie and Gary kind of together but i think i give the edge to freddie because he was super successful with far less opportunity that being said gary's kind of a guy who just man he's solid all the time and and i think he's someone that doesn't realize how good he actually is i think tim says he's underrated i don't think he's really underrated in any of our eyes i think we know how good he is i think he's underrated in his own eyes really i just, the reason why i say he's underrated is you never hear Gary. It's like ho hum, ho hum. Oh, there's Gary. Yeah. You know, you don't. And then, then you see him face Weber, and he's like, okay, that's a win, right? But other than that, I mean, I mean, Gary. Three eighty, three eighty, three eighty, three eighty. Try but, something but, different, Gary. But, but Gary's not. But Gary's not like that. He's not a raw, raw guy. He's not a guy who's loud. He's not a guy that looks for attention. He just, you know, just does his thing and goes right. And I mean, that's how he's underrated, right? You know, if you see a Bradley Tickcat playing well, you're going to hear him, right? You know, you're, you're going to hear people get into yeah. it. He doesn't do that, right? So, and uh, I mean, like, I thought I had Masters singles locked up. Well, I shouldn't say locked up, but I played really well two years ago. I had I had 92.50 for four. So, I mean, I'm averaging 290 for four tournaments. And, and you know, the next closest person to me after that is an 8,800. But Gary shoots 93. You know, like uh, he's just he's just solid all the time. So uh, he's always a threat. So uh, I would say that was my list of top six. If we were talking like sexes, I, I mean, obviously, like I said uh, earlier, I'm biased, but I, I mean, I think I think Megan has got to be in the conversation of one of the best ladies in the country. I think between her and Baker, uh, I I don't know if there's another two that I would throw into there. But I, I'm I'm really super biased. At, but that is that is just based on pure consistency. And yes, 
you know, there are harder provinces to make nationals out of, but to be that consistently in the top three at the nationals is pretty incredible, honestly. Uh, so, I mean, six or seven nationals uh, as a single, three as a team, a couple are, are like four bronzes, a goal or two golds as a team. She definitely made a huge difference to Newfoundland when she went out there. Their whole program was revitalized when she went out there, and I think that says a lot. So, uh, Baker, absolutely. Megan, absolutely. You bet. Well, I, I guess after hearing your 15, Tim, it doesn't leave a whole lot of, uh, a lot of names out there. But re- re- realistically, I, I think we all have kind of the same 15, 20 people kind of in mind for this. When, when the topic came up in our, our you know group chat this morning, it, it, it actually was very difficult to, to start kind of narrowing down to, to five or six, right? Uh, you know, aside from myself, uh, Mitch is obviously probably my my, my number one there. Uh, Carrie, your consistency, uh, a little bit of struggles recently, but pretty darn consistent overall. Uh, Matt Schultz, of course, just that that pure consistency, even though he's battling some injuries. I I, I still have to put Greg DeGrazia right up near there. Hey, the the, no. the guy is so yeah. talented, and uh, another another one you just don't hear a whole lot when he's out on the lanes until he's two hundred ahead of you, right? It's uh, he's so good. Uh, Gary Baird, obviously, uh, the exact same reasons for Stu Ryan as as you were saying, Dex. You throw him in an eight-game qualifier, he's probably going to be, you know, top one, top two. Hey, him and a guy like Ian McRitchie, yeah. right? The, the, the guys, once they get on fire, they're absolutely on fire. I, I had Dax in there also. But another, you know, kind of kind of dark horse that uh, you don't hear enough of, and uh, Brad Rusnak is is mm-hmm. as solid a player in, in Western Canada on tours as we see, right? Um I don't know if, if I had to, to choose, you know, five. I I pick you know myself, Mitch, Kerry, Matt, and Greg DeGrazia. Yeah, I know. I did. I seen that uh, survey pop up today, and I actually did go through it in my head. And I believe I had uh, I had Adam, Adam as one. I had Mitch. Davies is two, three. I had, I think I had Freddie. Four, I had Jen Baker. Five, I had Schultz. Yeah, I could, you know, give you another ten people off the top of my head, but we all we've already talked about how many of them. But one guy, I am gonna pick out who I wish he was in Edmonton and he wasn't able to throw because he was hurt was uh, Brad Mullins. Like yeah, that's one guy you can, never, you can sure. never leave out. Like he's just a beast. Just never poke that bear. That's for sure. <laughs> I agree. Brad's phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. Out of curiosity, what does Brad play nowadays? Does he play league? Does he play local tournaments? Does he? I. Well, he has. I've been doing masters. This is my first year off masters since being out of YBC. And he's never played any of the years I have played, so I know he hasn't done that for quite a few years now. Um, he's he's played open here and there, but not as much as he used to. 
and I think he throws league twice a week. Like, you know, he, you know, he's a guy who just, you know, started a family not that long ago and stuff too. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, and that's with a lot of our Saskatchewan bowlers, especially like you have, um, all the spark girls, like they're, they're all having families. It's like a lot of the women, women bowlers, uh, Crystal and Jeff Hibner, like same thing. They got young ones. So mm-hmm. I think that's, that's where a lot of our numbers have been going to for open and masters. Cause our numbers have been down for a few years. So hopefully it gets a, Hopefully it gets resurrected here in the next couple of years. That'd be nice. That's for sure. Yeah, your your YBC numbers should go up then, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> give it a few years. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe give it a few. I, yeah. ten, ten. You know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so I guess I'll just list off my top ten, or my top five. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, obviously, Weber. Weber is my number one. Um, Davies and Schultz. Um, Schultz, like I said, has never missed a Masters. He's always there. Doesn't play the Open consistently anymore to really put him super high on the list. But I, I still, if you give Schultz the he's ball in it. 10, yeah. he's, he's going to come through pretty often. And Baker and Gary Baird. Uh, Gary, I think people don't realize he's been to been three or four opens in the last five years, three or four masters in the last five years. Always makes the cuts. Like he he's always there. He may not be winning, but he's always there. So as for consistency, um, we also always used to call Lawrence Fobert the horse because he would always throw two seventy. Didn't matter what it was. Um, Gary's the exact same. He'll he'll throw two seventy. He'll be there. Um, my mm-hmm. super close calls, obviously the Wisemans, the Tick Cats, and Seth, uh, Victor Faubert, and even Gino. Victor. Uh, Gino's been yeah. on a bunch of Masters teams, a bunch of Open teams. Um, hasn't been made a, making a lot of cuts lately, but he, like I said, he's making Alberta national teams all the time. So it's hard to rule him out as a out of the last five years, even though he hasn't been nearly as good as he was, let's say eight, nine years ago, he was right. Um, mm-hmm. Freddie, Freddie's a tough one for me. Um, yeah, he dominated for the two years he was here, but what if he had three more years? Do you think he would have been as dominant? Well, he, he played for five, but he only played yeah. masters. What one year he played the open one, a couple yeah. of years, two years, two years. Sir. Two yeah. Years, yeah. So, it's too small of a sample pool out of the full five years for me to consider him to be in the top five, I guess, is, yeah. even though he was ridiculously good. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, and Brad Mullen, same thing. We all know he's good, and he would be in my top five if he played. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just because he, does, yeah. he doesn't play, I just can't, I can't put him up there that high, even though I know yeah. he would kick my ass if I played against him right tomorrow. So. <laughs> A couple things. I, I think if you're unfamiliar with Freddie, Freddie actually holds the record in New Brunswick in Cannellpin, highest average ever. So he he's pretty uh, he's pretty good across the board with all that. I, I think I know we talked about uh, some of you viewers out there are probably wondering why you don't put Tyler in there, right? I, I think Tyler's sample size. Yeah. He 
Um, he's not even out of YBC yet. He hasn't played the Masters or the Opens or stuff like that. I mean, he's a, he won the Tour Championship in for, for sure, but I don't think he's necessarily there. But he will be there, I think, at some point. Um, and I also want to point out that we, when we discussed the top five, we weren't going to put our names in there. And Weber, you did put your name in the top five. So yeah, you, you we, did. Did, we, we do need a sixth bowler. <laughs> ne- never said my name. I said beside myself. <laughs> no, no, you, you said, you said my top five. I would choose myself. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't say my name. Oh, you, you did. When you listen back on this, you'll be like, oh, I did. <laughs> you, you need to bring your phone further back to fit your head into this game. I, I ain't worried, boys. <laughs> We did release the the survey, but uh, Five Pin Universe is slow on compiling the data, so that'll be a next week thing. So, uh, anything going out in Saskatoon there, Mike? Anything anything new new news? Or I saw Kevin Rack won eighteen eighteen hundred dollars at a strike ball. <laughs> yeah, he uh, yeah, that was on our our Friday night uh, men's league. We've had a. Uh, our strike pot gets, I don't know why, it gets crazy high. Like, it was up at, I think it was two years ago, it was at four grand for one strike. One strike. Holy crap. And uh, Scott Clausen so, won that. He got pulled back-to-back weeks to win that one. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, other than did, the big, uh, big strike pot, nothing much. Did that make the news? Did that, did that make the newspaper? Because I feel like it did. Uh, it made Facebook news. How, was, uh, uh, how many weeks was is the single strike? Like, how, how much money are you guys putting in per week to that thing? Well, that's ridiculous. It's you know it, like we especially with this league. There's not, it's not a competitive league, right? It's just a beer league. Like it's just a, it's sponsored by Great Western and stuff like that. So, um, there's not as many bigger throwers in that league, which I think why it gets so high, but uh, it's crazy when it hits, let's say 500, it's almost like it starts doubling every week. Yeah. Like I know, oh. I know last week I probably threw 80 bucks in for tickets. And, uh, but the thing is, that's also, you know, getting some, getting some money from, you know, some friends, right. And they'll get a percentage if I throw the strike and this and that. For guys who aren't in the league and stuff, so <laughs> holy crap! <laughs> yeah, it's like, the, it's like the Oilers fifty-fifty. Yeah, yeah. We're well, happy when our strike bot gets to a hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, and I, that's, don't worry, I, let, I helped it. When I first joined this league, it would never crack like eighty bucks, yeah. and that's when I used to get pulled. Is when I could never crack eighty bucks, <laughs> and now I never. I can spend eighty dollars and not get pulled, so. It's fun. <laughs> We all know bowlers will like to bet on everything. Isn't yeah. that right, Tim? Isn't that right? Bowlers like to bet on no. everything? No. Yes. No. No. We're a bunch so, of degenerates. <laughs> we, th- this, viewers, this is a, uh, a little bit off topic, but bowlers do tend to bet on everything. And Tim uh, Tim made a bet earlier this year that the, the Seahawks wouldn't get to 500. And this was with a good friend of ours, Katie, uh, Katie Rainer. And uh, Katie's a big Seahawks fan. And uh, the bet was that if uh, they don't get to 500, 
then Tim would get to kick Katie in the crotch. And if they did get to 500, then Katie would get to kick Tim in the crotch. Boy, so um, for you viewers out there, you guys might want to become Patreon members in the next couple of weeks. Because <laughs> there may be a special episode. <laughs> we're we're raising honest, money yeah. so Tim can put his sperm in a sperm bank. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, ha I'm, ha I'm, I'm having a yeah, bad year. Live that or something. I'm, do I'm honestly, I'm, do I'm doing it for the sport. That's what I'm doing it for. So yes, us bowlers will bet on everything. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Um. So something from Saskatchewan, I guess that's different. I, I hear the bowling schools switching locations. Yeah, we're switching to uh, we're switching from Saskatoon to Regina. Just that, mostly because yeah, it's just because with uh, with the the hunters, it's just the how do you say business is taking over more than passion for the sport. So that's that's the main reason why. Yeah, no, I, don't want, I, don't want to, I don't want to get into too much more stuff about yeah. it, but yeah, yeah. that's the uh, main um, For, again, the viewers out there, uh, the Saskatchewan Bowling School is second to none. It is amazing. It's ran by Tom Patterson. They have some of the absolute best coaches and best bowlers uh, make it out to it. Uh, they have sports psychologists make it out to it. Uh, they had a sports psychologist who worked with the uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers there as a mainstay every single year for as long as I can remember. Uh, yeah. It is a absolutely amazing event. They call it a bowling school because it is a school. It is not a camp. It is a school you spend all day learning. And uh, it is invaluable. Spend the money and go. If you have kids, send them. If you are a kid, go. It, it is absolutely mm -hmm. worth it. So, yeah. have, have they picked a center that they're going to be in, Mike? Um, I... Pretty sure. I'm not sure if it's Nortown or if it's Glen Karen. It's, uh, between, have, uh, it's yeah. between those two, though. So I I would have a feeling it would probably would be with Glen Karen because Shelly bears close ties with the bowling school and well, Danny's, yeah. right? So I was, I can always I can always see hand in hand. Yeah, it was Danny who kind of brought it up, saying, "Hey, like you know, if we're not welcome here anymore, we can always move it to Regina, right?" So. So yeah, I think yeah. I think you're right. It'll probably be be held at uh, at Glencairn. That's for sure. Like Nortown does have more lanes, and the Bears used to own that one as well, right? Until I believe Shelly sold it to like one of her best friends. So she still helps her kind of run it and get it going, right? So. Oh, okay. But yeah, it'll be it'll be a good change. I think that's for sure. It's uh. Definitely one of my favorite bowling memories as a kid. You know, great way to cap the end of summer, seeing all your friends. That's for sure. And yeah. and get those repetitions we were talking about at the start oh, of this. I mean, yeah. you you throw thousands upon thousands of balls in a weekend. So by yeah. the time you leave that weekend, you're a lot sharper than you were when you got in there. That's for sure. Yeah. So. No, it's it's definitely not. Like it's 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 a very good, well-run school, 
it's sort of since like our sports kind of declined i guess you could say the schools kind of declined a little bit but it's still like very prestigious like i know you were talking about the sports like how there used to be a sports psychologist and even when i went there i remember there used to be a sports psychologist who would come in and even scott barber would do uh lessons in the restaurant about uh the psychological part psychological part of the sport but like the last few years there hasn't been anything like that so like we still do drills and pro speak and stuff like that but i I, I think mike i think the biggest problem was i think uh the the cut funding towards the program uh school over those many years tom tom had a bunch of funding and then with i don't know whether it was with Saskatchewan government, or I, I don't know the whole parameters of it, but I know he cut it in half what his fund rate, uh, funds were for that. So that made a big and huge difference, right? So yeah, um, I probably where I probably where it went, to be honest with you. Yeah. Which but, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah we uh, honestly in Alberta, I think we completely lacked that. Uh, I think we lacked the whole uh, for a bowling school. I don't think it's really much of a bowling school. I think it's more of a camp and get together and cheer each other on kind of thing like that and just throw balls. Um, I, I think it, it's, it speaks to Tom Patterson. Tom gets flown out to BC to do the uh, BC one. And and I know for a fact that uh, there's, when we went at least, and there, I know I was fortunate enough to be asked to be there a couple of years ago, people were flying in from Manitoba, Ontario still, just to be there with this bowling school. So that, yeah. I think it's a great thing. Yeah. Yeah, we still do have a lot of out of town out of province kids come in not as much as we used to that's for sure but it's still nice to nice to see that people are still coming in you know wanting to get better at the sport and willing to put in the time time and effort right so so no it's it's good like um i know talking with talking with tom previous we uh we want to get or he wants to get uh more people from the tour to come out and coach that's the thing too but like tim said like with when the funding got cut i believe that was for the out of town coaches he would bring in so the thing is you can like i know like him and dex your dad came out this year yeah and stand uh brad kickout came out and coached as well but that's that's all on their own dime right for the, for the most part, except except the hotel, I believe. The so, hotel, yeah. Yeah. Tom, Tom. That, like, you're driving out, you know, you're missing the four days of work you got to take off or five days of work you got to take off for it. So, also, like, come on down, but, you know, it's just <laughs> how much you love the sport, right? Yeah. And it was my steer I didn't know how I was going to like it, but I loved it. I it, it totally it totally me. different yeah yeah all right guys thank you very much um I'm just gonna wrap it up here uh thanks for coming out guys.